Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is Live Mike. With Lee Lonsberry from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, taxes, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Final hour of today's episode of this program, episode number 188. 208 is the time in the KSL newsroom. Uh, some unfortunate news we learned today, huh? 911. Yeah, it's the new high water mark. Uh, and it's not the good kind of high water mark. It's not the good kind of record you want to set. 911 is the new uh, number for positive cases of the coronavirus here in Utah. You have to go all the way back to July uh, to see numbers that came even close to this. And still then, uh, they didn't even reach this, uh, this unfortunately high number of 911. Now, uh, if you look further down uh, the data sheet, uh, which is uh, an email we get each day from the Utah Department of Health, you can find all of that information yourself as well at coronavirus.utah.gov. Uh, but some of the other data that came uh, in tandem with the 911 uh, two new positive cases. Uh, it has to do with, well, obviously the, the seven-day uh, rolling average. We're at 661 right now. That's no good. And then the percentage of positive laboratory tests is at 11.9%. Uh, and we got to that 661 number in a week. In a week. Last time we were uh, at the, in this range, uh, it, it took about six weeks to get there. And we pulled it off today in just a, uh, a week. That is, that's no good. That should be scary. But further down, further down, two pieces of data I want to share with you. Hospitalizations and deaths. Uh, today, only 120 people are currently hospitalized. And there were zero uh, new reported deaths. Now, that may feel uh, and seem good. That's very good for today. Uh, but uh, there was a warning uh, earlier today by Dr. Stenium as he uh, addressed folks, letting us know that uh, on the horizon, uh, we are uh, maybe going to see an uptick. And also, Spencer Cox said that deaths and hospitalizations uh, are inevitable. Joining me uh, again on the program is Dr. Eddie Stenium with Intermountain Healthcare, an infectious disease physician there. Doctor, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, thanks for making yourself available. I know, I know time is tight and you, uh, you have much to do. Uh, but tell me, you hear 9-11, uh, and you look down those two to three weeks. What, what, what's coming? Yeah, it's unsettling, uh, to be perfectly honest. I mean, we know that a lot of these cases are in the younger age group, 15 to 24, that do, you know, very well typically with COVID-19 with mild asymptomatic illness. But we also know that they transmit the virus to more vulnerable populations. And even today, if you look down in the numbers, um, we're seeing increases in cases in that 45 to 64 year old population. We're seeing increases not just in our you know, young adult group, but we're now seeing increases in cases where we will see hospitalizations forthcoming. You know, typically it takes you know, seven to 10 days from when you get ill to get to the point where you need a hospitalization. So the clock's ticking and, you know, we'll be ready. Will, and those hospitalizations you predict will come in uh, in these younger age groups, or are we, uh, I don't want to say banking on, or, but are, are we predicting based on the transmission to the more vulnerable from these younger populations? 
probably more the latter. I mean, we know and we've seen this that, you know, young people can get severely ill with this infection. There's plenty of young people that have comorbid chronic conditions, obesity, diabetes, immunocompromising conditions that will get sick and will get hospitalized due to this spike. But more, you know, of concern is that they will transmit to the vulnerable population. We'll eventually start seeing higher spikes in them and they will subsequently go on and get hospitalized um, and, and have to severe disease are the are the policy measures which have been taken right now sufficient is, sorry, is, i'm sorry i'm asking about policy measures are, are are they sufficient is it sufficient as the governor has done to rely on uh localities and local uh health jurisdictions to to implement whatever measures those localities uh deem to be appropriate well 911 cases would argue that they're not appropriate um and they're not sufficient and so we're seeing increase in cases with the current policies so something has to change um, we've been a big proponent of a, a, a universal mask mandate where actually people wear masks and, and do social distancing. But I think the fact of the matter is, is we're seeing these big spikes in our current environment. So for us to reverse course, we're going to have to change something. Young people, as we've discussed, are, you know, they're a bit more resilient, uh, sometimes more, more healthy, carry with them fewer comorbidities. Uh, and I wonder, if, uh, if if the fear is that that group may then transmit, is there is there any wisdom in looking at say a college community as a large bubble itself, uh, where uh, these young people are living together, they are working together, uh, and that they may not necessarily be coming in contact with more vulnerable or older uh, members of the community? Is the, is there any reason to to look at uh, at say Provo uh, as as a large bubble unto itself? Yeah, I mean, I think you could potentially make that argument with the caveat that we could somehow keep our professors and our janitorial staff and our university staff safe. But I think the fact of the matter is not everybody lives on campus. They aren't part of that bubble. Not 100% of the students live in on-campus housing. Um, same thing for the University of Utah, um, Utah Valley. You know, it isn't a bubble. These universities are in our community. These students interact with our community. They interact in our homes. And many of them go home to their parents, to multi-generational homes, and will spread the virus. Um, so, you know, if we lived in an area where a college campus was an isolated bubble, I think you could go down that route. Uh, but that's just not the fact of the matter here in Utah. Each day we get a large stack of data. We get new case counts, we get hospitalization numbers, we get rolling averages, we get death counts. Uh, what's the one number, if you had to pick one, I know this is an unfair question to ask, but what is the one number uh, that keeps you up at night, that each day uh, you wake up hoping to see lower than it was the day before? Yeah, you know, we really look at the seven-day rolling average. Um, you're going to have ups and downs based on backups and things like that and weekends and holidays that artificially decrease your testing count. But we look at the, the seven-day rolling average and what's the direction of that seven-day rolling average. And obviously, currently, if you look at our seven-day rolling average, it's heading in the wrong direction. Dr. Stenium, thank you for your time. Uh, I know your time is precious and sharing it with us is valuable to us. Thanks again, uh, and we'll certainly be touching base with you again in the future. Okay, my pleasure. All righty. Uh, we're going to take a break right here. When we return, uh, we're going to shift uh, away from today's new revelation and look backwards a bit. You remember uh, there was an app uh, which was released by the state of Utah, Healthy Together. Uh, well, that wasn't free. 
That cost uh, the state a, a good bit of money. When I say it cost the state a good bit of money, I mean it cost you and me a good bit of money. Was it an appropriate sale? Was it an appropriate contract? Uh, we're going to be speaking with a colleague of mine, Mike Hendrick. Hedrick from KSL Television going to be my guest here in studio to look at a state contract and whether or not uh, it was handled appropriately. That's ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. This is Joe Cordell. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.